Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today on The Stacks Book Club, we're discussing perennial New York Times bestseller, Educated by Tara Westover. We've brought back Sarah Ennie, who is the wonderful author of Tell Me Everything and the host of First Draft Podcast with Sarah Ennie, and she's going to help us break down this book. Please be warned, there are spoilers on today's episode. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you in the show notes, there is a link. In that link, it will take you to all the books, articles, movies, whatever else we discussed today. If you use that link to shop on Amazon, you'll help keep the stacks free. So it's a win-win for everyone. If you love this show and want to help us grow and take on new exciting projects, check out our Patreon page. You earn perks like our virtual book club and you get to know you're supporting a podcast you love. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks. And then the last thing I have to tell you, which is what I always tell you, is please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast wherever you're listening. It's super easy and it really helps the stack. So if you have a moment, please, please, please rate and review this podcast. Okay, let's get into this conversation of Educated by Tara Westover with our guest, Sarah Ennie. All right, you guys, we're back today with Sarah Enney. Sarah is an author, journalist, and podcast host. Her new book is called Tell Me Everything. And today for the Stacks Book Club, she and I are talking about a very small book that you've probably never heard of. It's called Educated. It's by Tara Westover. It's never been on any lists ever. It's not a bestseller. I think like seven people have read it. Um, it really snuck under the radar. Yeah, yeah, no one's heard of it. It's like not even Michelle Obama's book is anywhere near it now. I will say I did a little bit. I was like, I want to know a little bit more about her. And then I was like watching an interview with her and Bill Gates. And I was like, all right, I don't know. She's also our age. You know that. Yes, I, it's I like, can't it's like born it. in 1986. I was like, oh, I can't I handle just it. assumed she was 45. And I was like, I'm doing fine. I still have like 15 <laughs> years to get there. Nope. Um, so Educated, it's her memoir. For those of you who have not yet read the book, we are going to spoil it. We both read it. So we're going to talk about it. If you haven't read it and you care, turn this off. Come mm-hmm. back when you're finished. If you haven't read it and you don't care, welcome to the podcast. Hello. And if you have read it, let's get going. Yes. Okay. So where we always start, what did you think of the book? I mean, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of an odd thing. It ended up being really intense. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I expected, but I mean, how do you, I don't, I rarely feel like a reading of book was a waste of time. I rarely, rarely feel that. Yeah. Though I have felt it in my life. (laughs) 
that I'm like, I can't believe I'm reading this book. Usually yeah. for the show. Oh, interesting. Like where I'm like, I have this person coming in. I have to read their book. And I'm like, this is a waste of my time. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I don't feel like this was a waste of time. It was really beautifully written. Yeah. That is for sure. I really came away being, and I was listening to it on audiobook, which is new for me. I'd love to okay. talk about that. Yeah. Um, and the audio, I thought that the reader was fantastic. I thought she did a great job. I think it's won awards and it, and it yeah. deserved them. But, um, but so for me, it was like eating ramen and walking around my neighborhood, <laughs> listening to this like really intense and frequently upsetting personal story. Yeah. So a friend of mine um, also listened to it and she was like, I can't wait to hear what you think. I can't wait to hear. And I was like, I hope I like it. She was like, like it. You're going to love it. And oh. I was like, okay. And so I text her when I finished yesterday and I was like, don't hate me. I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah. And she was like, maybe it's because you didn't listen on the audio. And I'm like, maybe. But I think from what I understand, the audio is really good because the narrator like really like some of the more dramatic scenes, she really like draws it out and you're kind of like, what's going to happen? Yes. And I don't know. I didn't have, I didn't really have the what's going to happen feeling as much reading it. Mm. Um, I thought the writing was good. I have to say, I just thought the book was good. I thought it was a really solid book. I did not really actually care about Tara Westover. I totally agree with that. I was, and like to me, and this is what I'm like dying to get into with you. Now that I finished the book, looking back, it's less about what I expected it to be about, which is mm-hmm. I really kind of just thought she was going to talk about our education right. and like the okay. difference, the difference in like being not homeschooled versus right. like the rigors of Cambridge where she ended up and stuff like that. And that was that actually was so backseated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sort of like, oh, I, I'm on this whole other ride. And then t- at the end, looking back now, I'm like, she really didn't grapple with a lot of her stuff. Her stuff. I was like, so you, to be clear, Tara Westover was raised with survivalist Mormons who were misogynistic, racist abusers. Right. And like, she really doesn't say it flat out ever. She doesn't say it. And I, I think that that is probably the biggest problem with the book is that she presents a lot of stuff. And for me, so two things. One is that I just read this book in August 2019. Mm-hmm. So this book has been out for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Probably everyone else listening right now read this book somewhere between February 2018 when it came out and the, the end of last year. Right. Like, I, I think that I'm like, people were shocked that I'd never read it. It's so, so I think funny that's that's part that. of it. Yeah. But the other part is that one of my personal reading wheelhouses is cults, fundamental religions. That's my jam. Oh my God. I we need read... to have a whole email thread about this because I'm okay. obsessed. So so for me, I was like, I'm not shocked by any of this. I actually know all of this. And I actually think your childhood could have been a lot worse considering the stories I've read about other Mormon people. Uh-huh. Like, And not all Mormon people, fundamentalist Mormons and like these specific groups and these specific in families in Idaho. Yeah, like, Idaho is a scary place. Yeah. Want to talk about Oklahoma City bombing? Want to talk about Waco? Mm-hmm. Want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, Randy Weaver? Like there's a lot of crazy shit shit that goes down in Idaho, not all Idaho. Let me just preface this whole conversation. This is not all anyone or anything or anywhere. So I'm going to talk about things. I just don't want people to be like, I'm Mormon and that's not my experience. I'm not saying that at all. Not about that. But in the reading that I've done about fundamental, like Christianity, religions, about cult, about Mm -hmm. these families, like I felt like it was kind of tame. Yes. And Which is crazy to say because her shit was totally fucked up. It but like was wild. Yeah. But she really it like 
so for example, like the reason that you're talking about cults and stuff, I feel like this is so funny. I'm going to just go forward assuming that everyone listening to this has read it. Yeah. If um, not, I can't, I can't cater to you. The fact that I was, it ended up being, I did have a suspenseful experience because of the audiobook. I, I do think that's a really apt point your mm. friend made because I was like, what's going to happen? You know, right. like I, and I had no sense of where I was in the book. You right. know, it's like a, this audiobook is new for me and I really enjoyed this experience because it was really different. But the fact that they let some of the kids go was so weird. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, I mean, that made me happy because <laughs> like right. she got to escape that. I, I mean, like the fact that they were never or she never talks about like, I, I mean, yeah, she she was physically abused. We don't have she never talks about any kind of like sexual assault. Right. But I don't I mean, it was. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot that's unsaid. I do. I feel like there's a lot that's unsaid. I feel like what's interesting about the book and the fact that it's gotten so popular is that it is relatively tame for what it is. And I think maybe because I've discovered from doing this podcast and just in general from the way that I read that a lot of people don't read as intensely as I do. And Mm. so I think that like a lot of books that I love are too uncomfortable for people. So I wonder if this book, because it is uncomfortable and there is a lot of abuse and there is crazy stuff, but she's not really asking you as the reader to examine how terrible things can get that maybe it's like more approachable. And I don't mean that in like a, like I recognize that my reading is very intense for a lot of people. So I think that like this might be a more approachable or like digestible version, but for people who are used to reading like these crazy stories or who like watch, who like go deep dive on those like documentaries and stuff like I do, this felt like, I don't know. And I think it is, I think what you're saying about like, her family was all of these things and she doesn't really grapple with it. Like her brother calling her the N word and her being like, but Sean wasn't racist. He just like, didn't really know better. Or like maybe he was, maybe he just like, we only knew one black person. It's kind of like, okay, but he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Like it, it's not. And she brings that up in the same context within explaining that at first he called her a whore for a long time. Right. And like that, that was quote her word. Like right. when the other, I think Emily, the other girlfriend said that he used to call her a whore. She was like, that was my word. Right. Like that there was. So he used, he was trying, he was cycling through all these words, trying to see what was going to get to her. So he knew that that word had context. He knew right. that the N word was a terrible thing to call someone. That's why he was doing right, it. Right. Exactly. And like, maybe he didn't know the history of the civil rights movement, but he knew what the n-word meant because he said i'm calling you that because you're black like you're covered in black right so he didn't just hear it like oh that's like calling someone an asshole like yes he knew and she doesn't grapple with like her whiteness and like that's part of it too is the thing it's like okay so if you're gonna say that he didn't know because you guys don't know any black people then talk about literally not knowing any black people yeah or having it (laughs) introduced and then it's so i mean i think that you and i both kind of then had a moment at this exact point in the book because then it was like all that she had learned about slavery growing up was her dad talking about how actually slaves had it better than their owners because they didn't have it was like this yeah really twisted logic and i was like so what you're not addressing is that you did know about it and you learned about it in a blatantly racist context right same with then she has this like really intense story about being a freshman at byu and asking an art history teacher what the word holocaust meant and i mean she she doesn't not present that as an awful thing right 
But I was like, well, then up to that point, up to the discussion of the N-word and slavery and the discussion of the fact that she didn't know what the Holocaust was, she hadn't given us a sense of what her family, what she was learning from her family. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like she talks about her like going through the book and like putting her finger down the page and saying she was like doing school or whatever, but she doesn't really talk about what was taught. Like her mother really didn't teach her anything. Like how was she taught to read? Right. What was that like? And maybe she doesn't remember and I don't know, but the Holocaust, I mean, that Holocaust story is wild. Could you like, Uh, I thought a lot about myself in that context because like I'm such an intense personality and like I love to not give people the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time, like especially right now, especially like the way that the country is right now, like Mm -hmm. it's really hard. And I was thinking like, what would I do if I was in a class and someone said, I don't know that word. Like, excuse me? Right. Like, what are you doing here? She didn't, she went to BYU. Like, that's a real major school. That's not like, I mean, that's not like some teeny tiny college, like, that no one's ever heard of, like, some major, major college. So I don't, I just can't, I can't imagine being in that room. And like, it really makes you, it makes you, one of the things that this book really made me think about was, what is education mm-hmm. and what is the education system and what are things that we are expected to know and what are things that we are expected to learn? Right. And yeah, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it, it made me think about that too, because I was like, you know, it, it, what it did make me think about the reason we value education the way we do or the way we've structured it is so that as a human in America in 2019, we all have we all are assumed to have certain shared reference points. Right. Right. I think we can all agree that like education has a long way to go. And especially right. if you get, or if you're being educated in our public schools, like there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I knew almost nothing about European beyond European history when I came out of school and that was like devastating to realize, right. I mean, whatever, that's a whole other conversation, but she had no touchstones. Right. And no shared understanding. She didn't know what a textbook was or that she should read it. So it was like, it was devastating to think about her obviously being this really smart person, being in a situation where she's so hobbled by the fact that no one even attempted to cultivate her brain at all. But, but I can't, I can't get away from this, this point that we're both kind of expressing similarly, which is in writing this book, and I think you're right that this is what makes it more approachable. But in writing this book, she doesn't – I wish she was more honest about this stuff. She obviously came out of her upbringing feeling probably – I mean, she was obviously like consumed with internalized misogyny. Right. Which she does deal with. Right. Um, but she was obviously raised by a racist family. Right. By, by a family with racist beliefs and also like the, the fundamentalist Christian beliefs – are uh, terrible in a lot of other ways. Right. And, and she sort of, it was dealt with in this really odd backwards feeling right. way. Like there were some things she was okay with talking about, like being like the anti-government stuff. She was right. okay with talking about like being okay with getting a grant and like, right. like there were certain and medicine yeah. a lot of her, dealing with like that stuff she was okay with talking about. And it was interesting that she chose not to like, 
I can't remember what this came from, and it might be from Missoula by John Krakauer, which mm. is not BYU, but is in, it's in Montana. It's mostly white kids, but the black kids who go there are the athletes. Mm. And I was really curious about her experience. If she's never, she only met one black girl who was adopted, then going to BYU, where a lot of the black kids who go there are athletes mm-hmm. and like they're revered as being athletes. Like, what was that like for her? Like being around black people for the first time. Right. You know, and like, I think BYU has like a pretty decent um, uh, Asian population also. So like, what was that like? Mm -hmm. Like if she's never been around people and she's been on this mountain, what was it like? She talks about being around Gentiles or like non-Mormons and, but she doesn't talk about her first encounter with a black man. Right. And like, did that bring up something for her? Did that freak her out? Had she been taught to be fear them or did she, would, did she not? Was she with a friend who got weird around a black guy? And she was like, why are you being weird? Cause that would be interesting too. Right. There's a lot that goes unaddressed, you know, and then later when she is at Cambridge and she goes to travel to Italy with her friends, you know, I found that to be a really beautifully written passage, but it was also odd. And, and, as you said, she is like 32 or something, right. which is, right. you know, alarming that can, right. because she's so accomplished and, and this <laughs> right. book is so well written that that's what we mean by that. Um, she's an incredibly impressive person. But I, I was also like, I, I wonder if she, she obviously wrote, this is like the story of her life and she's 32. There's a lot she's still working through. I think that too. And for I, sure. I was like, I'm excited in 30 years to read your next memoir where right. maybe you'll be more ready to process right. because she's... I think we all are tasked to do this as adults, but her experience of this is way more extreme is you have to unlearn right. a lot of what you learned as a kid, right. regardless of how you're raised, right. even happy childhoods end up being like, well, what are the habits you got? What, right. what, you know, what are the ways of thinking that you need to expand your worldview to, to be in the world as a, as an older person? And she is still in that process very much. And so I think what you and I are noting is that from a book standpoint, there was a lot that wasn't addressed in here that we would have been fascinated right, to, really hear more about. to hear more about. Yeah. And, and yeah, thinking about her future, I really would read the memoir of this book tour. Ooh, I would too. Like, cause there's no way she could have thought this book was going to be this book. And she's, t- I mean, she's talking about the rupture of her family. She doesn't talk right. to her family anymore. Right. So now she has this book that is like, I want to know who reached out to her, if anybody did from right. her family. I want to know what it was like for her going to cities that were so different than Salt Lake City or Cambridge. Like, Cambridge is a pretty white place, too. Very like, white. Harvard is a pretty white place, too. And, like, so I'm curious, like, when she took this book to, I don't know, like, even, like, San Francisco, which is very white, but, like, very obsessed with diversity and, like, right. very obsessed with that idea right. of education and diversity versus, like, if she took it to Dallas. Like, what was that like? And when she went back to Salt Lake City, which I'm sure she did like Positive. I'm curious to know and I'm sure this book took her on the world and she got to meet insane people and like Barack Obama read her book so I just like that would be the book that I would love to read like things I learned on tour yeah. like by Tara Westover or Dude, whatever I would too I really would love that and also to hear her talk about I, I don't know because I haven't done a lot of research into how this book was received or what conversations have been had as a result right. of this book, but I can imagine there's a lot of conversation around Mormonism generally. Yeah. And as you and I both said, like she's really clear in the book at the very beginning about this is not about Mormonism, right. this is not whatever, but I can imagine that some people have taken it that way yeah. and addressed questions yes. with that context. Yes. And I bet that was upsetting for her. Right. You know, she's really clear about not wanting this to be an anti-Mormon book and it's not because people like us are familiar with the fact that it's about 
cult leaders really and and fundamentalists yeah um but you know this is such a popular book that i'm sure some people are taking it the way she's not intending it right and i'm sure people who are mormon feel like that it is attacking them as well which i'm sure is not her intent i'm also curious like what religious things she still has or doesn't have like does she still go to church at all does she still talk to any bishops like how has her how has writing this book changed her relationship to religion i think really what i guess we're both kind of getting at is like we need the sequel that's tara talking about the book yes or something like talking they're just i yeah i just felt like there were things she didn't talk about that were the things that i wanted to hear about yeah and like while i i feel like the abuse stuff like she's very open with i kind of was like okay i got it Right. Like you could have used, and I, like one of the things I said is like the book could have been shorter. Mm-hmm. It actually didn't need to be shorter. It just could have been about more things or different things. I Like it could have been a different use of 350 pages. I totally agree. Yeah. And like there was, not that it was, you know, obviously it seems like in the process of writing this book, she was really grappling with the abuse. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, first of all, then not to be like a voyeuristic about it, like I would have love to read more about how her own relationship to sex did evolve. Yeah. Because obviously she was in a series of long-term relationships. Right. And at first she does talk about how it was difficult to be romantically, physically intimate with even just kissing with her first boyfriend because her brother had physically assaulted her so much. And she doesn't talk about it, but I'm sure her dad, I'm, I'm sure hitting was happening in that house. Yeah. And also just like the idea of modesty. Right. Like that was so huge. Overpowering. You know, it doesn't sound like she wore anything form fitting until she was on this book tour. (laughs) Literally on this book tour. Um, Yeah, exactly. So it does feel like we got a lot, a lot of extended graphic um, portrayals of the abuse she suffered at the hand Mm -hmm. specifically of her brother. And we do grapple with how he and her dad are like, I mean, I, I was fascinated by the portrayal of manipulators, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like literal cult leader level of right. emotional manipulation on purpose and how, you know, I think there's been a cultural conversation lately about grooming and mm. how these two abusers really set the stage to, you know, and she had this like, the the story progresses to the point where she really, truly all Tara is asking is for her family to acknowledge right. that she was physically abused by her brother and they can't do that. Right. They make her, they gaslight her. Right. Um, and she is presented with a choice, either deny the experience of your life that you have had. Right. Or lose your family. Right. And the end of the book is she chooses to trust herself and to lose right. her family. Um, and so that was really moving. And I was like, I'm here for that ride. But if that was the sole purpose, I agree we could have shed 100 pages. Yeah. Or really gotten into more stuff. Yeah, I was more inter- into her education, mm. not necessarily her academic education, mm-hmm. but her education, like her educating herself on these things and human. these people and these experiences. And like, she was sort of a Martian. Yeah, like, like she talks about her roommate who was like, and we all need to wash our hands with soap. Like, and I'm like, I want more of those stories. Yeah. Like, I want more of the stuff where you're like, right. I did not know to use soap because I didn't pee on my hands because that's what my dad said. Right. Like, stuff like that was like really those like, and that's kind of like the same thing as the Holocaust thing. It's like these little moments where you see her and what she really is lacking because right. she is so smart and the book is well written. And we know that she goes on to get a PhD. It's kind of hard to believe that she ever didn't know things. Mm-hmm. And so I think her saying, I didn't know this thing was really illuminating 
interesting and helpful for me as a reader and connected me to her. Agreed. And um, also, yeah. like, there, w- I could have used a little bit more about what she was writing in some mm. ways. In some ways, I got whiffs of, and this may be unfair, so whatever, but I got whiffs of the feeling I had with Rory Gilmore and The Marvelous Miss Maisel, where I was I like, don't watch that. well, I'm not here to recommend it because okay. I'm about to tell you what annoys me about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she, she, we hear throughout the book, you know, that she uh, needed to get a certain score on a test to get into BYU. Mm-hmm. And she like exceeds the score. Right. Then she doesn't know what the Holocaust is, but manages to learn how to read a textbook. And then she gets all A's and gets right. these scholarships. So it's very clear to us that she's smart, but I could have used more about like, what were you writing about? Mm-hmm. What were you, I, I wanted so much more granularity to like, how did you form your ideas? You like, were, how did this happen? Yeah. What was your dissertation about? Like, like she kind of goes into it, but I just wanted, I wanted to have a better understanding of how she went from having zero academic, even concept mm-hmm. to being like, so, uh, so great that her professor pleaded the case that it was a gross injustice not to let her go to Cambridge. You know, like we're told these and, and the Rory Gilmore thing is that Rory Gilmore throughout the Gilmore girls were told that she's so brilliant and so smart and such a great journalist. And I'm like, I never see you do great journalism. Like I never see you. I don't, I don't believe it because I'm not seeing that reflected to me. Right. And that's, I, I lacked that's so interesting. A bit of it. Like I literally would have read her dissertation if they put it in the back just yeah. to be like, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking? What made you so – because clearly you are – and now you have this book that's been on the bestseller list for two years. Like you are an extraordinary person. But I sort of just I'm, – I'm still not able to put my arms all the way around it for right. some reason. The, the, okay. We're going to – I want to leave this book quickly kind mm-hmm. of. There are other books to me that are like this mm. that are like – really popular people like love them are obsessed with them do really well and then i read them and i'm like i don't get it mm. and i'm so curious what that is yeah and i think everybody has that yeah. like it might not be educated for you it might be gone girl it might be i don't know well we talked about a little life last a little week. life well th- i was gonna say this also is reminding me of our conversation about a little life <laughs> but there are books but a little life was not as big as this like i'm thinking like I don't know, Malcolm Gladwell. I'm thinking mm. like Michelle Obama's book. These books that are like monsters, little fires everywhere. Mm. Like there are these books that are monsters that have been on the bestseller list for years mm-hmm. or weeks or whatever. And and they connect with 90% of the population. And then there's the 10%. For me, educated is I'm in that 10%. But like for you know, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm in the 90%. Right. So like, I don't, it's not necessarily all about the particular reader. I just am so curious, like how a book like this gets picked up and becomes this versus something like even like The Glass Castle, which Mm. is essentially this. Mm -hmm. And it was popular, but it wasn't this. Right. So I just, I'm so curious, like what it is that people feel about this book and this abuse and this success and Mm. this education that is more important or enjoyable than the glass castle or whatever. Well, here is how, where I'm going to push back on this as a as a theory okay. from the standpoint of being a published author. Okay. I don't I want to be careful that we don't mistake meritocracy for marketing. Right. So cuz that's what I would say. I would say like a book like this sometimes what happens with books is like the glass castle is actually a great example. Like why isn't 
Why isn't that? Right. So, so massive. I mean, it was huge, but yeah. not like this. It was like a, people talk about it. People know it. It's withstood the test of time. Right. But I don't feel like it was educated when it came out. Right. And I think it's, it's just like one it's it's an accumulated thing. It's a snowball rolling down the mountain, you know? It just right. becomes this thing. And then at some point it's not even – and at some point it becomes like so big that you can't even say you didn't like it. And right. then that just keeps – it becomes a monster, you know? Right. And what we're talking about is zeitgeist, right? Like right. how do you define that? How do you – what is it that falls into that? What doesn't? I mean that is really – confusing sometimes right. and also like fascinating. Right. Because we never have taken on a book on this show quite as popular but as this. Here's the other thing that is really funny to me about about this is that in my, in my perspective, it's funny to hear you frame it that way because I don't think about the book that way. What do you think about it as? It definitely was huge and yeah. I heard about it a ton, but not as much as others. And I'm in like the YA sphere. So what right. I think that we sort of like just had different. Right. But it's still like third or first on New York Times bestseller this week. Yeah. I just saw it. It's like it's this, it's Gia Talenti's new book and it's Michelle Obama's book still. Wow. Like it's crazy. Wow. Like, cause I also don't necessarily read bestseller books and mm-hmm. I don't really care about the bestsellers, but I do subscribe to the New York Times. So every week I like to look at it. Yeah. And like this book is still there. Yeah. So, and, I'm, and I'm definitely not saying that my perspective is the no, objective one because it's right, not. Right, of course but, not. But, it, but I didn't pick it up thinking about it that way, that's I guess, okay. which is interesting. When did you read it? Uh, I, same. I was uh, When you and I started emailing about the show, okay. I had just started the audiobook. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. So, got it. Um, so same. You and I are kind of coming from it about like, like yeah. late. Like I, that's like the other thing. It's like with movies too. It's like if you if you went and saw Black Panther in the theater the day it came out, that was the best movie you ever saw. Mm-hmm. But if you went and saw Black Panther two weeks later, you're like, well, how come nobody's talking about Michael B. Jordan? Mm-hmm. You know? So like I feel like part of it is like, am I harder on this book because everyone else has told me how great it is? Right. Or am I harder on this book because I have read a hundred thousand books about Mormon fundamentalists yeah. and like Charles Manson yeah. and I'm obsessed with Waco and like so for me like on page eight of this book she talks about Randy Weaver and like Ruby Ridge and I was like oh my god we're going full Ruby Ridge I yes. love this book how come nobody told me it was about a cult and then I was like oh nobody told me it's about a cult because it's not about a cult. She really then kind of sidesteps it yeah. and doesn't get into that I to- I totally agree and I'm I'm literally coming from the same perspective where I like I'm obsessed with that stuff so right. I could have heard her talk about exa- I could have heard her describe their bunker or how Ugh. much how stuff they were making jars for, their for Y2K like, I need to know like and oh my god that that was heartbreaking the her story about the section. Y2K night and her dad I read that the because the start of the next chapter was her saying how her dad like never brought it up again and I said to my husband I was like listen to this sentence about Y2K like I, I that, out of control. That's the stuff. Like the super specific stuff in this book is what is like bonkers amazing. Yes. The stuff that is more generally like – and not that her abuse was general, but like it was so – it just felt like so by the book maybe. Right. And like that's probably part of it is because like all abusers and psychopaths are really the same. And like there isn't there isn't a, a wide playbook. It's like you do right. this, you do this, you do this. Right. But like the stuff about her experience – as a child and like that was the stuff that I was like yo this book is insane and yeah. then the stuff that was like 
Sean's a dick. I was like, yeah, Sean's a dick. We all yeah. know Sean's a dick. Stop going back. And it was really like, I think this is where, especially when you're talking about memoir, where like an editorial, and I'm sure this was edited. And again, like we're talking about, it's a beautiful book, really. Yeah. But it, I was like, this is, the episodes that you're recounting are very specific and important to you, Tara mm-hmm. Westover. Mm-hmm. To me as a reader, to understand your experience, you've already gotten me there. Right. I get it. I don't necessarily need to hear the next phase or the, or like, then she was talking about seeing all the girls in the mirror and the 16 year old self coming. I mean, like all that stuff. I was like, I'm not really connecting with this so much. I'm with you. And, and I was like, this is, this is clearly something that you need to talk about in therapy for, you know, the rest of your life. Right. And, and I'm sure that it does dominate your journals, which she was really obviously relying a lot on her diaries throughout that she kept throughout her life in writing this book. But yeah, the, the, I could have read so much more about her dad proselytizing about Y2K and then being humiliated when the world didn't end. Right. And then the, the, that she didn't go into as much more of the significant brain damage that it seemingly almost everyone in her family suffered. Well, that was something. Okay. So I wrote this down. I wrote down the strength and the resiliency of the human body. That's like the theme of this book. Truly. Like these people have all been majorly injured multiple times. We're talking about a hugely concussed in a car crash. Yes. And, and <laughs> like the mother, I mean, I even, the, the mo- fire with Luke's leg. Yes. The gasoline soaked jeans that then were lit on fire by accident. And doused in a, in a, like a trash can. It, <laughs> sounds, I mean, Tara, it when, crazy. when the mom was like, what were you thinking? He's like in a trash can. I was like, honestly, Tara, like, how did you, how did you get into Cambridge? Like, I, Oh my god! It's like, it, I mean, granted, she was ten, but I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, not great. I, clearly, her ACT studying really helped her. Yes, but then Sean falling off like twenty feet in the air, hitting his head on the way down, then like coming to, then getting tackled to the ground by three men, hitting his head again, and then, then the motorcycle accident. And yeah, and then like something like two weeks later, yeah. like careening off the road in a huge motorcycle accident where his brain was leaking out of his skull. Yeah, and then the dad in the fire. The dad literally was standing next to a thing that exploded. Like a blowtorch. All a fuel tank. Over his body. And, and then his, her the description leg. Of his hands. I, oh my God. Her yeah. leg in the steel thing. Oh my God. Plus her getting the shit kicked out of her. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the, like, I sometimes have stomach aches. <laughs> right? I was like, I cannot I was like, relate so to this. this headache that I have right now because I'm dehydrated, this is not the same. <laughs> I would like to be in a basement right now. But like the idea that the human body can handle so much, nobody dies until the grandma dies at the end of like 10 years of cancer. Right. I'm like, are you, what are you, they're clearly doing something right. You know what? Which made me think, is the mom shit legit? Her, right? Should we start investing in this? Her like ointments. I truly something that we're all learning is that like spite and vitriol will keep you living forever, forever, forever. Why is Trump alive? Uh, uh, the man we've seen what he eats. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just the only thing I can explain is that you you something about the fires of like hate I know. really 
sustain people. This is why we have to keep hating books because then we'll stay we gotta alive have longer. Something. You know, we got to have if something. If you love every book, you'll die in a year. Yeah. No? Like, oh, but it's then, true that like the, the dad, yeah. it's like almost like the, and clearly from the dad's standpoint, it, it, it ends up being the explicit stated sort of purpose of his life, but it's, we're getting there the whole time is really against the medical establishment. And so the dad I mean, those parts were hard to listen to, mm-hmm. to the narrator describe the disfiguration that was done to this man's body mm-hmm. and the, f- and the, and the, the enemas to keep him alive. I was like, I don't know if I love any man that much, right. but he, he, his heart stopped. I mean, he was burned so badly that he probably shouldn't have survived, especially since he wasn't in a hospital, Right. but he came back right. and he lived and I was like, you know what? Part of it must have been because in his head, he was like, if I'm, you know, it's like he thinks he's called by God. Right. That, that's compelling. Right. That's a reason to live. Woof. Yeah. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. You also wonder, like, if he had gone to a hospital and, like, gone to a doctor, like, 
maybe he would have been fine in a week. Like, what do we know? We don't we know. No There's not like there were two of them and one went to the hospital and one didn't. Right. You know? And like, I think that's the, that's always, uh, my husband is a doctor. And so I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about people who are anti-medicine and science. I used to be married to a doctor. Yeah. There's I like relate. part of it is like, I, but I also, there's a lot of things my husband and I disagree about when it comes to like things that aren't Western medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like not into doing it myself. Like I don't do Eastern medicine things, but I don't not think that you should. Right. And like we're in LA and like some of the mother stuff, I'm like, I don't think that like lavender is going to help you if you're massively concussed, but like if it works for you. Right. Well, so, the power of the human mind is right. Placebo pills work, right? right we know that. Right. So the, yeah, the Tara's mom in the book that was, it was also a fascinating section. Her mom sort of coming into her own as a businesswoman. Yeah. As a midwife. And, and then, but, but anyway, she, she clearly believes in this stuff. Tinctures, there's a tincture for everything. So I don't know. Yeah. I like, that's the part of the book where I'm kind of like, there's a lot to fault Tara's Mm. family for, Mm -hmm. but the anti-medicine stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Like he's alive. He shouldn't have been alive. All of them should have died from their things. All of, but then to me, the other thing was, I was like, I wish it was more. I wish, and she can't because these are real people, and this isn't a fiction. This isn't fiction. So, and and also these people are still living, so we right. can't know. But I was like, Sean must have gotten worse. It, his right. brain was right hugely damaged. Right, her dad's brain had right. been. I mean, you know, can you imagine? He must have hit his head all the time doing right. all the stuff he did. Right. Her mom was in that car crash, and she said she described the, the raccoon, raccoon eyes, eyes that indicate lasting cognitive right. damage. And I was right. like, and then you have this group of people who have decided to deny reality, to dig, to double and triple and quadruple down on their fundamentalist beliefs and their hatred of the system and they only trust each other. You know, I'm just like, there's no way that cognitive decline isn't like hand in hand with Right. Of course. And so the other thing about like the medicine, especially the dad, she talks about like, oh, his lungs were charred so badly he couldn't breathe. But I'm like, how do you know that? You don't actually know what kind of internal damage he, like he didn't go to a doctor. You didn't see his lungs. Like you might hear that he's wheezing, but like you, none of you have any idea what's going on medically with any of these people. So that's also part of it. And like, which brings me to my next point about memory Mm. in this book and, and in memoirs in general, especially about people's childhood. Mm. I know she had a lot of journals, Mm -hmm. but she talks about things in her journals that are not, not accounted for things she'd never thought about. And so I feel like in memoir, what's hard for me as someone who loves nonfiction is like nonfiction is documented and there's it's cited and it's sourced and there are facts. And in memoir, you don't, you're allowed to write whatever you want and say it's your experience or it's your memory. And it gets really interesting when they talk about Luke's accident and Sean's accident. Mm-hmm. And she makes, you know, the little notes, the footnotes. And then there's a part in the afterward where she talks about it even more. But like, we take her word for it because she is our author and we trust her. But there are so many parts in this book where she even says, I don't know if my memory is correct. Mm-hmm. And it makes it hard for me. So like, we actually don't know how bad the dad was burned. Like we don't know 
we don't know if it was actually his brain coming out or mm-hmm. did she see just a lot of blood and it was gross and it was late at night. Like right. we don't we don't know the extent of a lot of what actually happened because we're taking the word of someone who is smart. Mm-hmm. But smart people can misremember things. Like, smart people can get things wrong. Especially when you're talking about events that were traumatic. So traumatic. And she's 10. Like, Mm -hmm. the Luke thing. I'm like, if you didn't know not to put his foot in the trash can, like, how am I supposed to believe you on this story? Right. Right. So I, like, and what is the obligation of the author for truth in their own memoir? And, like, what is truth versus fact? Like, there's just so much here. Man, I'm I'm (laughs) obsessed with these questions. I think it is part of why I love documentary i love nonfiction. i love memoir because because of these questions like what is reality what is history what what is the you know we're just talking about the history we can all agree on and then of course you understand like who writes the history books like none of this is none of this is true objectivity we as human beings can very rarely know true objectivity so i mean i love dancing in that space and, and as a writer talking about like what makes something real i do think in the book you've pointed out her her notes and her being like, listen, this was in my journal, but I was remembering this, blah, 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 almost made it worse. It like pointed it out. Right. In a way that I thought was interesting because she's an academic. So I could tell that she was kind of like, obviously she's very thorough Mm -hmm. in her work in academia and she's a historian. So that like was obvious kind of, and how she was talking about this stuff. But I was like, this is your memoir. So I don't know if you need that, you know, right. There's a, it says a memoir. And at the beginning of the book, you were really clear about these are just my collected memories. Right. So by taking such pains to point out that there, that the, your, your version of events may not be the true version of events, you're taking me out of the book and Mm. you're making me think about other parts of the book differently that I don't know is beneficial to me as a reader. Like I think I had the opposite. Interesting. I think I really appreciated it. Because I have read so many memoirs. There's a memoir that I particularly despise. It's called um, The Line Becomes a River by uh, Francisco Cantu. Okay. He has a middle name. I can't remember what it is. Um, and it's about he is like – he's half Mexican, white presenting, goes, works border control, writes a memoir about it. And it's a memoir. It's not a nonfiction book. And I have a big problem with the book because I think that he went, he's a writer. Mm. He went to writing school, studied, and then like, or he, sorry, he went to school. Then he went and was like, I'm going to be a writer, went and worked for Border Patrol, then wrote this memoir. To write about it. That's what I think. He doesn't say that, but that is the impression that I get. Mm. And so for me, I'm like, this memoir is bullshit because you should have written a nonfiction book. If you want to be a journalist, if that's what you're trying to do, be undercover, then write that book, but cite it. In like and in the book, he's like, I gave the man a shirt off my back. Like I did this, I did that. I'm a hero. Then I met another Mexican, and there's like, there is no documentation for any of this. And so for me, I at least appreciated that she's like, this is what I wrote down, but that's not how I remember it anymore. Mm. Or like, this is what I, this is my memory. And then being like, this is my memory, and apparently Luke says it was none of this, mm. you know. And like, I appreciate that because I know that that is real and true to how things are remembered. Mm-hmm. But it calls into question the whole idea of memoir for me, and the whole idea of what is true in this family, mm-hmm. knowing that truth is so can be you know bullied out of you, right? right. Like Aubrey or Audrey, Audrey, yeah, Audrey is like 
this all this happened, this happened, this happened. And then she's like, none of this happened. Like, Tara is the devil. Yeah, t- literally Tara is the devil. So yeah, like, so her memory and the memories that are put in this book, I'm interested in, but not, it does. It didn't necessarily take me out of the book. It mm-hmm. just made me question more what I was reading, which I appreciated. Yeah, and and it's, it's interesting because I mean, because I didn't not, like it. It just, it, I think you're right. I, I think what was, what I was sort of grappling with was, was being presented mid memoir with the fact that this, this could is, all be wrong. Yeah. This is like yeah. really tricky. And then as it goes on, she does then grapple with this whole, like, what is reality? I mean, I think that is like a thing that she as a person is probably preoccupied with. And that's probably why she yeah. took these pains in this book to be like, literally the reason I don't talk to my family anymore is because we dispute reality. So I'm going to try my best, you know? Right. And like, there's so much of their disputing of reality that led her to not believe her own reality, which is why I also wonder about some of her memories, if she has changed them at all because they were hard or uncomfortable or made her feel like it was easier to remember something nice that Sean had done because Mm. she didn't have to deal with all the baggage of all the bad things that also led to her, like losing her whole family. Right. I mean, how much has she blocked? How much? Or like chosen not to dive into because it's like, I don't, I already made him look bad. Like, yeah, that's not even a major thing. This was just a minor thing he did to me. And I think what you and I are saying is like, is that we would have liked more of Mm. those specific moments. Yeah. And that stuff like that would have, because that's the stuff that I'll remember from this book. Mm -hmm. Those, those imagining her mom with those raccoon eyes not being able to come out of the basement for months. I mean, that's... And her dad sitting on the couch until 2 in the morning at Y2K. I mean, really, I I really can't (laughs) get over that story. The idea of her in that classroom raising her hand and being like, what's the Holocaust? Right. I mean, those are things that, that... that mean a lot to us as a reader and they obviously were important to her in her life, but they're touchstones. You know, it's in, in some mm-hmm. ways it's interesting for me to examine this as an author. Cause I'm like, that did mean mattered more. And that made her more real to me right. as opposed to these sort of long, and then like all the stuff about her being in musicals. I was like, well, are you still singing now? Like what happened right. to that? <laughs> right. I, I wanted to hear her voice. I was like, can you me please too. sing on this book? Right. Like, the audiobook just is a CD of her saying like her song. I love it. It was just cut to a little like bit of it. Right. Been amazing. Um, another thing that comes up in this book, which I guess is like another major theme of this book is like the weaponization of religion mm. against education. And I feel like that's not new. That did not start with the Westover family. And it is, it's really prominent right now in mm. America, like on different, you know, different degrees, but like we're dealing with a lot of, you know, that's fake news or like, I mean, global warming, like mm-hmm. that's something that we're weaponizing Christianity against science, right? You know, like that's like a really obvious one. And I just, it was really, just make, makes me sad. Well, listen, <laughs> the, uh, and it sounds like you and I have similar interests. So yeah. I can't stop thinking about flat earthers okay. and the fact that that's like, taking off right, right now. Right. Um, Thanks and, Kyrie Irving. Oh my God. <laughs> um, uh, anti-vaxxing and yep. the general distrust of science or uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, just the fact to me, I'm fascinated. I'm equal parts fascinated and terrified by the fact that conspiracy theory is so prevalent right now. Yeah. And it's so 
But like, was it popular? always or not? Do you think it wasn't? They've always been in the world. Right. But I think the issue is previously I'd have to be like, you know, something I've been thinking about right. is like, what if the world was flat? You right. know, we'd have to be like having wine over dinner like and I'd have, have to, to yeah. sell you on it. And now I just have to go to Reddit and right. find the right subreddit. And a bunch of people agree with me. Right. So, or I go to YouTube and, and without even thinking about it, I'm exposed to 25 videos in a row of other people who think the same thing. So it's just different how we are able to connect right? and have our beliefs reinforced. And I'm not even saying that this is inherently a bad thing because we see, of course, this also help educate people right. and spread a lot of the opposite, a lot right. of joy and understanding and empathy. But it is having this effect where where fake news means not, everything's real because nothing is real. Right, like, exactly. That's where we are right now. And yeah, and like this book takes it a step further because mm. it's the religion. Mm. It's God versus education. Right. It's either you're on the side of God or you're on the other side, yeah. whether it's medicine, whether it's school, whether it's the woman's role in the house, yeah. whether it's your brother beating the shit out of you. And like, I mean, we, we're seeing that now with the abortion debate. Mm. Either you believe that children are conceived at the moment of conception because Jesus or you're a murderer. Yeah. Or you're and literally like, a murderer. Yeah. And like the, that's how these debates are being presented. And it's like, you can't, if you're on the side of being a murderer, like if you're pro-choice, then right. how can you have a conversation if the response is, well, I'm pro-choice. Well, then you're a murderer. Yeah. Like, where do, where do we go from here? Where do how we go? Do we... And like, how do you fight against, well, Jesus said this, you yeah. know? And like, we're getting to a place in this country where like Christianity has become so much part of our, of our non-separation of church and state that like, there is no room for like, okay, you can believe that that's what Jesus said, but like, I'm Jewish, right. but get out of my uterus. Right. Like, why is my uterus your problem then? Absolutely. You it, know? It's really nuts. And it's, it's, um, it is alarming. And it what was the name of that writer. She was a, a woman around our age who just, who just tragically passed oh, away. Um, she was like a conserv. She was like a Christian liberal. Yes. And yeah. she was like, I'll, I'll look her up. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I, I talked was, about her on the daily. Yes. Yeah. And then there was a few write-ups in the New York times that uh, I'm sure we read the same stuff yeah. about it, but, but, um, it was beautiful to read about her because mm-hmm. of her campaign of in good faith with total love and spirit questioning her church. And it sounded like she was really gaining traction and was like encouraging this movement of Christians to discuss amongst themselves. What does it mean to be Christian now with, when, our country is moving in progressive ways, at least sometimes. Um, and I, and I, I was doubly sad to hear about her loss because I think we need those voices now more than ever. Mm-hmm. And to have, I think what you're like, it's interesting to think about in the context of this book, right? Her dad, it's almost like you didn't have time to question anything. She re- says over and over that her dad just lectured. Right. And would like, literally, if someone is standing there screaming at you for two hours, like at the end of that, you, why even talk at all? You're just so tired. You just like wore, wore right, out. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We're kind of talking about the state of the world right now, which is hard to 
Yeah. The weaponization of religion against education or information or truth or whatever isn't new. Mm -hmm. And like it was going on when she was a kid in 1996 or 1990. Like she was born in 86. So it was going on when she was a kid. Right. And like to see now 30, 35 years later, like what that has become. Like that the Randy Weaver Mm -hmm. hero story has become this you know okay here's a this is maybe lead tying into what you're saying about why this book why now why is it so huge right. two two thoughts the first one what you just said is so interesting to me and i think we are right now at a moment of grappling with like okay this is it this is what reaganism was right okay now we can say what was that experiment how did it end up <laughs> with the economic situation we're in now with whatever. And and I'm not even putting a, a liberal or conservative spin on it. I'm just saying now we can see the results right. of what was put into effect 35, 40 years ago. And we need to decide if that worked for us right. or not. Right. And um, I agree with what you're saying. Like, so then the result is she was raised in like, what if we went off the grid and created this religion for ourselves or whatever. But I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And I guess we we care about this book because it's a story of this time. Like it's yeah. not it's not actually like textbook from Reagan to Trump. Right. Like it's like this one woman's experience and like she was six part of this book and like right. she didn't know and like what did what did all of that mean? Well, and this is okay, this is the, this is the other thing I was thinking. Maybe it's so popular because in some ways this is a book about the eventual triumph of at least the pursuit of fact objectivity of learning of caring about the Mm. world maybe we feel like there is hope hope. yeah (laughs) because she got out of that house because she chose her own mind right because she somehow has at least endeavored to unwire all of the deep-seated self-hate that her family planted in her yeah so maybe there's some element of like we will get through this time. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. we just try to stick true to ourselves and really be forceful with ourselves about what we believe in and what we care about, that like we can we can endure and outlive. You know, right. part of this what makes the story so tragic is that she had no choice. Right. She never chose to go to school or not go to school. Right. She never chose even to get her ID eventually. It was right. her mom. Right. She was so you, kids are so vulnerable to their right. families and what their families do to them. And this was re- a really stark observation of that. Yeah. I would be remiss not to talk about this. Um, but one of the reasons I didn't read this book until now, until you suggested it, is that I just felt like I didn't really need another story of like a white girl who like triumphs mm-hmm. and like that there are so many stories in the world and like we're just now getting to a place where like Korean authors are getting published a ton right now mm-hmm. and like or or where you know there's room for Tanahasi Coates and Ibram Kendi and Saeed Jones you know and like and right after Trump got elected the book that like was at the top of all the lists was Hillbilly Elegies which mm-hmm. I've also chosen not to read people are like I can't believe I haven't read that I'm like it's a choice yeah same not reading it but like there's something also like I would be curious to know the breakdown of people who have read this book based on like race, based on socioeconomic status, like political affiliation. Exactly. Exactly. Religious affiliation. Like, do you know how many people don't get a good education and don't 
go to Harvard and Cambridge, you are really fucking smart. Yeah. Like, so there is something in this book, like her inherent whiteness, like Mormon is like the one American religion. And like, there are people who are not white, who are Mormon, but that comes a lot from like the proselytizing and like the going places. Like there's like tons of like Tongan Mormons. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. But like she is, when you find out this book is about a girl from Idaho, no one's like, oh, wonder if she's like from Honduras really like you know like it's like there's something about rooting for this like white girl that is a big turnoff for me on Mm -hmm. this book and like when it comes to educated and like talking about education the fact that we're centering like this white girl and like yeah they were poor they lived on a mountain but they didn't they weren't really they didn't have to be they chose to be they chose that life for themselves they weren't redlined for generations in Detroit like they weren't immigrants from El Salvador who were separated from their families at the border. Like while she comes from a lot, she has a lot of, not a lot of privilege in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. She also comes from a lot of privilege and it's a privilege that her story got written and published and people were obsessed with it. And Barack Obama read it, you know, I super, super agree. And I think the phrase inherent whiteness is a really important one to, to apply to the story. And right. I think that's what tripped us all. That's like what started this conversation. Right. That's like right. tripped, tripped us we'll both up. At the end. <laughs> yeah. Because it feels, because that does feel like, I just think we we are, I think we have to consider that in talking about this book because it's at the end of it, it was really striking to me. Like it's white all the way through. It's white on white. <laughs> it's white on white. And, and it's not, you know, that doesn't invalidate her experience, but mm-hmm. what we're talking about is where should this fit within our cultural like right. conversation? And like, why this book? And why now? Because I mean, she, she, she sort of gets herself out of Idaho, but then goes right into the bastion of BYU, Harvard and Cambridge. And right. as we're saying, like she sort of then, then whatever privilege that she didn't have, she then acquires right. like her, she was poor growing up. Now her family's rich, which is kind of wild. And right. I'm assuming that she is probably a, whatever. This book has spent two years on the list. She She's made money fine. from the book. Um, and she got scholarships. Right. And she, you know, so. And once she was in those spaces, she was allowed to be in those spaces. Whereas if she was a, you know, Filipino, you know, queer man, let's say. Right. Like she gets to Harvard and people are looking at him, you know, this person differently. Like you don't just walk around BYU comfortably if you're a black woman, Mm -mm. you know, like she's blonde too. Like she really just like fit in, in these worlds. Right. And so I think that like not acknowledging that. And like, I think that's part of the reason I didn't read this book. And it's Mm -hmm. not to say that like white stories about white women don't matter, but it is worth noting. Like Bill Gates is a champion of this book. Like, Mm -hmm. like, the fact that this book has been so successful, it has to do with her identity and like the identity politics of like whiteness and white womanness and white woman victimness. Right. Can I throw out a theory that I'm yeah. interested to hear what you think about? This is making me think about the stories that like you, I'm obsessed with like, I mean, all the cult stuff, right. a lot of fundamentalist stuff. Right. I really don't mean to be flippant about it because, no, go ahead. but like sometimes it can, sometimes it feels like a lot of white nonsense, right? right. Totally. Like a lot of the cults, especially where, you know, when it talks about people dying and suffering at the hands of these things, that's another thing. But a lot of cults are like white people doing, at least on the outside, what looks like nonsense. Right. Have um, you read a lot about Jonestown? 
a decent amount. So Jonestown is my favorite cult because it is not all white people. Right. Like he like targeted black people. And he started as a really, he started doing really important civil rights yeah, work. Yeah, in, in Indiana. And so that's one of the few cults. I mean, James Jones, Jim, Jim Jones is one of my ultimate villains of the world to me. But that story gets really interesting because I, I always say like if I had been alive in the, it was in the Bay Area, you know, towards the end, like I probably would have been part of Jonestown because it like civil rights and like we're doing this good stuff. And I probably would have been like, I don't really care about the Jesus part of it, but like there's all these black people and white people together doing stuff. And like we're building this culture and we're feeding the young and the poor and we're mm-hmm. helping elect politicians. And like we helped get Harvey Milk elected. Like, so mostly, yes, I feel like mostly cults are like a lot. And there are cults that are all different. You know, there's like right. this crazy cult in Africa and they like set themselves on fire in an ark. Like a thousand people died. It happened right before 9-11, which is why nobody talks about it. And because it was a thousand black people, nobody cares. But there are. But the ones that have like footing are – I think it's because like the media can see itself in the white people too. Like it's like I want to cover Randy Weaver because Mm -hmm. like he's just – he just didn't want to pay his taxes or like he just wanted to have his guns and like – who cares? Well, th- and that's so interesting. And, and I think you're right. I do. I definitely think you're right. But I think also part. Oh, God, I, I really am risking saying I, I don't want to. As a white person, sometimes those stories are more interesting or fun, quote unquote, to experience because it's white people destroying each other. Sure. Which is like. Great. But, and we have so many versions of white people. Right. So it's like, it's okay because you know that a white cult leader doesn't speak for all white people. Right. Whereas if it was a Cambodian cult leader, you would be like, all Cambodian people are cult leaders, you know? So I right. feel like there is, like, it is more entertaining because we have been taught to differentiate white people right. from one another. Yeah. So in the same story, you can have a white hero and a white cult leader and it's not confusing and you're not like, this is about all white people. Like, no, it's about it's about these crazy white people. And I guess, and part of where I'm coming from too is like, just hearing you talk about this, what strikes me is like, I would love a book about why, why are minorities seem less likely to engage with culty cult. stuff. Because I have like other problems. I know, There's right? other shit going on. There's some element of uh, cultural significance it feels like to right. me of like, why is it less likely? You know, what's the, what was that called? Um, the cult that was following Haley's. Oh, yes. Um, the Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Um, there were a couple. Did you listen to that podcast? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. But there and were, that guy was in a cult. Yeah, which was fascinating. And he was a black guy. And they were hella racist to that family even though they were in the cult and i was like that is so unusual right and it was fascinating to hear him talk about it because of that because it's so unusual right um i don't know yeah i think i also think you know this is like really anecdotal and probably not real but i think also for like a lot of people of color like there's a lot of pressure from your family and your society to like be twice as good and like not fuck up and know that if you do fuck up, like if you're Muslim and you shoot up a public space, like you know that all Muslims have to answer for you now, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, I wonder if that's also part of it. It's like, we're taught from a young age, like don't embarrass me, you know, (laughs) by your parents. And I think that also reflects 
a type of parenting, right? right that is right, like exactly. involved. And I mean, a lot of the, a lot of uh, these young men that we're seeing get, getting radicalized right now, I'm like, well, where, 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 where your was your family? Right. You seem to be spending a lot of time on your computer. Right. I'm not trying to lay blame anywhere, right. but you know, of course these are complicated things, but, but it does feel like, yeah, right. you have less engaged parents or like, I don't know. I come from a white family where sometimes we just don't talk about stuff. Right. And like, so you can see how things could ferment. Right. Uh, or get distorted over time. There's so many things. And there's also like, there's a, a ex- expectation of like ownership and whiteness and like that you're entitled to a public space and like that you belong there. And like, nobody calls the police on you for a lemonade stand if you're two little white kids. Right. You know, like, so there's also, I think people of color have, especially people who are black and brown, like who present of color as opposed to people who pass. Mm-hmm. But like that there is an understanding that like this isn't your space or your country. And like we're hearing that a lot right now. But even before right now, like not a lot of black people are like out in public spaces in mixed company, as we say, who are acting a fool because they Mm -hmm. know someone is going to threaten their freedom and their liberty in a way that a white person would be like, no, you don't get to do that. I belong in this space. I belong Mm -hmm. at this library. I belong in this school. Yes, I can take my gun to my school because it's my school, you know? So I think there's just like there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that play into why we see more. And then I also think like I, I forgot I I feel like we have to say something about this. We're like running out of time. But one of the things that comes up in this book is mental illness mm. and how there's a connection between like paranoia and bipolar and all that stuff and cults. And mm-hmm. not to say that that is anything to do with race, right. but just I wanted to throw that out there too because she talks about it in the book. Comes up with her dad. Comes up a lot with like. Um, with Waco, I'm blanking on mm. his name. Uh, oh yeah, shoot, what was Branch that? Davidian, some, Dave, David Crash. Yeah, Whew. still nice. got it. Nice. Still got my call knowledge. <laughs> but like that, David Crash was like, you know, and Jim Jones was like a drug addict and bipolar and manic and like all the things. And so this like paranoia that the dad has and that Sean has and like. Yeah. I mean, she, and, and Tara's not, nor does she present herself as a medical professional, but she basically says, my dad is manic depressive. And right. at onset when he was, you know, cause he started having their seven kids when they were so young. And so they had four kids by the time he was 25. Right. She mentions in there that 25 yeah. is a typical age when it can sort of onset right. for men and that she kind of traces his behavior and assumes that that's what happened because he became a lot more reclusive and a lot more intense. Right. But like that we have language around that, that is not mental disorder. That is all these other things. Mm. And like, we see that with these shooters, right? It's like, Oh, like he was ill, but it's like, wait, no, like there are a lot of people who have mental illness who don't go on to do this stuff. Right. So like while he might be bipolar or whatever, paranoid, there's also like other stuff that what's, what are the other factors? Like, cause like I have plenty of friends who are bipolar, not, they're not violent people. They're not cult leaders. Like I know schizophrenic people also not violent. Like it's usually self, they usually harm themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, what's really been, I mean, not to, I don't know how I got even onto school shooters, but like, or like mass shooters, but like, that's the thing that's so reprehensible about the conversation about this is it's like stigmatizes people who have mental illness, who are hurting themselves. They're not hurting other people, but they're getting lumped in with like, these people whose names I won't mention because we shouldn't be yeah. giving their names airtime. But. I know, but that's, that is what makes this, this re- listen, we're also talking about this a few days after there were two mass shootings within yeah. 24 hours. So right. of course it's on our mind. Right. So that's the context for this conversation, but it was so offensive to see the Republican party's 
line after that being like, we need to talk about mental illness. And it's like, yeah, we do need to talk about mental illness and how, and like, you know, caring for people in this country that are suffering from mental illness, um, and have needs, but like that, how dare you say that that is the cause of this and not rampant radicalization, white nationalism. And it was like, it was just so offensive. And they're also the party that has like slashed mental health benefits like crazy. Yeah. And education and all these things that, that would, would just be like, helpful. so, so I think what we're, what we're <laughs> back to the book, but, but I think, but I think what we're saying a little bit and tell me if you think this is a correct characterization is like, she sort of presents this as a, she presents herself as this other. Right. And somehow I think for both of us, it wasn't satisfying how she did or did not address her other dumb in the context of other otherdoms or like her other, her unothering yes. or whatever, like how she became an other because yes. she was part of this family and now she's not. Right. And we both wanted to see more of her journey of like othering herself. And like, didn't, don't you think, I just can't believe that there wasn't an experience that she had with a person of color or, or an LGBTQ person where she had a conversation about like, oh yeah, sometimes I feel like right. I don't relate or I've got this other perspective. I mean, there or was like, just, how does this work? Right. Or like, there was none of that. And yeah. I think that's what we both are like walking away being like, oh, I, I think there's parts of her life that we would have been interested to know about. And I'm not sure why they weren't presented. Right. And like, what things is she still grappling with? Right. Cause I feel like we hear that a lot with people who like, like a lot of times we hear this with women who have been sexually abused that like, they, like, especially if they're in a relationship that was abusive, that they're still dealing with like the, the ways they were groomed and the ways that they were abused and the ways that they internalized misogyny. Mm-hmm. And like, I appreciate that because it makes it clear that just because you're done being abused or you leave that relationship, that that thing still is with you, that mm-hmm. you're still affected by that. And mm-hmm. I feel like she doesn't do a good job of saying like, this is where I am in my journey. Mm. Like I am a work of I'm like, I'm a work in progress. I'm only 32 or 33. So like, this is where I am at the writing of this book. She, that's such a good point because it was like a kind of a shock to then look at videos of her later and be like, oh my God, she's so young. Yeah. And, and she talks about phases of her life where she has these like depressive states or, or whatever. And I do think that though she's so rigorous about telling us this may be true, this won't be true. This is what someone else said. This is what I think. But she's not rigorous about contextualizing this story within her own life. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish mm. that she had been clear about being like, I'm yeah, just like what you said, like, I'm still on this journey, but here's what I think about it now versus then she's sort of maybe even more of an authorial voice of like, as I write today, you know, because we heard yeah. her read parts of her diary or whatever, right. but it wasn't her being like, you know, I still don't understand and I still, whatever there could have used a little more. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. We have to wrap up. We kind of went long today. I don't care this. I, there's just so much to talk about. In this this book. was fascinating. It really was. Um, but the last thing I definitely want to do is title and cover. Oh man. What do you think of the cover? What do you think of the title educated? I think the cover is gorgeous. I love this cover. It is Really I didn't beautiful. see a lot of it like online, like seeing it and stuff. I didn't couldn't see like the little birds. I couldn't yeah. see like the gradation of like the valley and the mountains and stuff. Like whoever drew this, so beautiful. 
can, I'll tell you who do it. Oh, oh yeah. Let's, let's give a little yeah. shout out to Patrick Svensson. Well done, Pat. Pat. You really nailed it. Patty S. We love you. Patty S. Well um, done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the colors are like right. They're stunning. I mean, it's very like primary color type of thing, mm-hmm. but it obviously pl- it's a pencil that, if you look closer, is reveals a mountain. And she's so much of, the, of her book and her obvious longing for the environment in which she grew up is about this mountain. And so I think it was it was clearly also I love when you after you read a book and you look at the cover and you're like, oh, that artist read the book, right? Like that's right. that's right. great, you know. Totally. Um, however, I I don't know. I'm meh on the title. The title's fine. Yeah. I don't, I can't. I might feel like, I mean, I think there already is like a book called like Anna Education, but mm. like, I like that it's one word. I always like a one word title. I always think that's fun if you can make it work, but I don't think it was quite educating. Like, yeah. or like I don't know, like, get, like it should be more active. Well, I also think both you and I were a little unprepared for what was in the book. That's true. So it wasn't. I think we both thought it was going to be more about education, right? Or like her education. Yeah, because like, like educated, and then all that you really know going in, or all that I really knew going in was that she was quote unquote homeschooled. Truly, she had no, literally, no education, and then went on to be at Cambridge, and it's educated. So I thought it was going to be so much more centered on that, right. but it's a lot about her life and family, actually. So I was like, we were not ready to hear all mm. about the family because of the title. I think, right. And I, I think, you know, so I don't have like an alternative I don't suggestion. Know. I never have but... an alternative suggestion. I just say, I just critique. I don't ever provide options. That's a really interesting question. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're all done today. Thank you guys so much for listening, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. This was an awesome conversation. Man, I'm so glad. I know. I hope, I hope listeners enjoyed it. We really went <laughs> off on some tangents, but yeah, that's all we do around here is yeah, go on tangents. It was so fun. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me. Thank you. And make sure you guys go check out Sarah's book, Tell Me Everything by Sarah Any. It's in the world. It's been in the world since February, so you can get it. Um, And thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode, and a huge thank you to Sarah Enny for being our guest. Make sure to check out her book, Tell Me Everything, and listen to her podcast, The First Draft Podcast. Find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, or check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. 